A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Brianderson. That is the most lovely introduction. I think I'm just going to uh, record that and use it <laughs> every time I go on anything now. I'm so excited. Right. It's lovely. I love doing the song and every now and then I forget about it. And uh, uh, today, absolutely got the song because I wanted to sing your name. Uh, brie as in the french cheese and uh, i thought i was going to have to apologize for that but actually i don't which is making me very happy indeed so before we get going a really quick word uh, from our sponsors caddy cube tuesdays produced in partnership with wordlift we were doing the uh, round table this morning with them the old special absolutely delightful ai driven seo and because we don't have a sponsor again this week we're going to talk about caddy cube Pro and CaddyCube and our offers. Uh, we have three solutions for your brand set. That's all we ever talk about. A beginner brand set book. It was out last week, or last month rather. Intermediate brand set courses, which we're now releasing again, uh, relaunching this week, and advanced for advanced users and a SaaS platform. And CaddyCube, it's all about your brand set, is our motto. So, Bree. As always, we're going to start with your brand set. I had a quick look on Google today, and look at that. That's brilliant. Uh, really colorful. What we see yeah. is with Brie Anderson, you're ranking number one. You've got the top, but those pictures are lots of different Brie Andersons. And just mm -hmm. below the fold, you've got those videos, which look, which look amazing. Um, you do a lot of content on social media, don't you? Yes, I do. And actually, I brand myself as Brie E. Anderson, so that I own a lot more of that SERP so that I can get rid of all of those people's faces. Yes. And bingo. <laughs> no, <only> we, <laughs> I saw that you have got Brie E. Anderson absolutely everywhere. And I thought that's quite yeah. difficult to say. Brie E. Anderson is quite a mouthful. But you've right. done an astonishing job of being totally consistent about it. And Google has really got that. And those social media profiles are, are, are astonishing. I had a quick look at something. You're on TikTok. You're on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You're on YouTube. Absolutely everywhere. That must take a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, I make it work. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I, I, I mostly use YouTube and TikTok um, and Twitter. But I've got stuff everywhere. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, from my perspective, we've been working with CaliCube on our own brand SERP, and we've been driving social media to see how much we can dominate with it. Mm -hmm. um, and it is an incredibly powerful tool for dominating the result for your own name. And I was actually thinking about picking your brains about that. I and mean, you're saying basically you're focusing a great deal on TikTok and YouTube, not so much on Instagram. And right. yet on Instagram, you've got quite a lot going on still. Um, I, I post every once in a while. I'm starting to put my TikToks on Instagram just because it's easy. I mean, they have reels now that go up to 60 seconds, so I can just use that. But um, YouTube was kind of my first priority just because it does take up so much of the SERP. And... Twitter as well, a lot of times I'll get the Twitter carousel, um, which is nice because that's where I post a lot more of like, I hate calling it, but like thought leadership type stuff. Um, right. and, and, you know, it does take up a lot of that SERP. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, with, with the Twitter boxes right at the top there, I was, I was looking at that. And it, it, if you look at the SERP, you can see there's a tiny bit more white space above and below it than the mm -hmm. other blue links. And that means that if you tweeted from that point once or twice, the Twitter boxes would then appear. Uh, Google is basically just sitting there with with the place ready. It's got the placeholder there. Yeah. And it, it will flower 
dynamically, as far as I see, they load the page, then they decide if they will show the Twitter result or the Twitter boxes. Anyway, that's my brand SERP obsession out of the way for another week. Thank you for listening and thank you for helping. Data-driven SEO will always be testing. I asked you before the show, what kind of um, SEO are you into? Are you the kind of linky person, the kind of uh, analytics person, the uh, keywordy person or the technical person? And you said the strategic person. Yeah, absolutely. So everything that I do is based off of the numbers that we are given, right? Whether that's by Google or by Bing or through our the analytics platform of choice for your website. Um, when people say data-driven, it, it kind of gets a bad rap now because it was overused mm. for so long. But truly, everything that I'm looking at is what's going to move the needle as far as ROI goes. However, we're we're defining ROI, whether that's leads or conversions or video views or, you know, whatever that might be. So um, creating strategies based on the analytics is what I focus on with SEO. Right. So the first thing you do when you come in and see a client is you say, what analytics have you got and what methodologies are you using? Is that how you approach it? Um, more so I, I usually start with like, what is the goal? What are, what are you trying right. to do? Because <laughs> that gives you a better idea of what you need to collect. <laughs> and then we can decide whether or not you actually have the right things in place to collect that data. Right. Um, right. so yeah, we start yeah, no, well, yeah, I mean, you're hundred percent right. It was a very idiotic question in the, in the sense that the first thing you need to do is know where you're going or what you're aiming for. And if they give you the goal, then in terms of the, the data you're going to be looking at, how much does it vary depending on the goal? You mentioned video views or sales. What kind of data will we be looking at in those two circumstances? Right. So sales, I mean, it's a lot of, obviously, you're tracking transactions, revenue, add to cart, page views, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but then with, with, you know, if we're doing leads, maybe we look at, did they get to the page that has the lead capture? Did they start filling out the form? Did they actually fill out the form? You know, all those things. It's essentially just what's the goal? What's the quote funnel? What are all the steps? And, mm. and that's what we need to make sure that we're tracking. Um, but you know, not everyone is, you know, trying to do that. Maybe they're just trying to get phone calls and it's still, but mm. it's still the same thing. Did they see the phone number? Did they click on the phone number? Why didn't they click on the phone number? That kind of stuff. Um, I mean, how often do you see, I mean, obviously, if you need, if you're going to get data, you need to have these things tracked. I mean, a lot of clients that I've seen just don't track any of this stuff. They kind of yes. play pop up. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, you know, people always say, what's the thing that people should be tracking and they're not. And unfortunately, that is the answer, the goal. They're not tracking the goal because you can go set up Google Analytics. When you create a, um, a Facebook page, it starts collecting analytics for you. Twitter starts collecting analytics for you. But to actually track the goals, you have to do the extra step, right? And a lot of people either don't know how to do it or they forget about it or they just don't go the extra step. Um, and then they have all this data and really no decision-making power because you don't know what actually led to the conversion. Right, yeah. And uh, one thing just really curious, and it's nothing really to do with this, is when Google introduced smart goals, did lots of your clients mm -hmm. suddenly think that's a really good idea? Um, some of them, um, but, but I mean, if you really talk to someone, 
they have a very specific idea. Right. You, you, it's a lot of digging, right? A lot of like, keep asking why, keep asking what over and over and over until you get to that very specific, like, what is it supposed to be? And if, if you push them enough, they start to realize that a lot of times those things don't coincide with what Google is, is trying to get you to focus right. on. Oh, and another question then is how many steps to the goal? I mean, that's the other thing is, all right, you've got them to tell you what the goal is and you've started tracking mm -hmm. that. How important is all the steps to the goal so you can see where are people people are jumping off? Um, I mean, it, it's really important, right? Because you want to like if you have a funnel that leaks, you need to know where it's leaking. And if you're not tracking all the steps, you have no idea what, like where people are, are dropping off. So generally you know, we try and track as many of those things as we can. A lot of that stuff, though, is kind of tracked by default, like page views for a specific page, if you have a download on that, right? Wow. Um, scroll depth is really easy to, to turn on, things of that nature. Um, but what people, um, oh, man, I just had something. How, why is it important to track all those things? Um, I lost it. I lost it. It's gone. Right. Well, the, the reason I'm asking is I've actually got a client who just migrated their site and they had the or we had the good idea to put a month before we tracked every step that we were interested in so that when yeah. we switched the site, we could see where the drop offs were. And there's a massive right. drop off. And it's really, really idiotic. We put the wrong word on the button. And people just yeah. stopped clicking on it. And we literally lost 20 percent because we had the wrong word. It's why it's really wild and you would have never known, right? No. Um, something, and I remember what I was going to say earlier. We, I, I try and get people to think about what their, the user journey in that funnel is going to look like. Yes. However, a lot of times you can't just, I mean, with any data, you can't look at just one number, one set of numbers. You have to look at kind of everything and, and how it's all working together. But a lot of times we have an idea, even as SEOs, what that user journey is going to look like, what you know the mm. data is saying people are going to be looking up. And a lot of times we forget that we aren't the target audience or that Google's not like the target audience necessarily. And those user journeys look a little bit different. So we always have to be taking into account too, like, okay, this is the funnel that we think people are going to follow or the path that we think people are going to follow. But we also need to make sure that we're looking at all the other information that's being collected to see if we're missing mm. anything. So. Brilliant. I, I'm just going to pop this question up on the screen. Google Analytics versus Adobe Analytics. Now, interesting question. I was talking to a lawyer earlier on about cookie policies and European law, and six European countries apparently have already said that Google Analytics is against the law um, in its basic setup. If you don't do, I, I, I couldn't really understand what she said I needed yeah. to do. And in France, where I am, in April, that might happen too. And it's a big battle between the American legal setup, the American laws and the European laws, and Americans visiting sites in Europe and Europeans visiting sites in America. I don't know how much you know about that, but it did make me think maybe I should get rid of Google Analytics and move to something else. Is Adobe Analytics any good? So I personally don't have a ton of experience with Adobe Analytics. Honestly, um, my, my goal is to make analytics accessible uh, to everyone. And so that's why generally all the education that I do is with Google Analytics for the most part. Um, now, something to be said about that, I, I am not a privacy expert at, by any means. I have no. literally no idea how any of that works. I do 
you know, what I'm told, I, I know what the privacy options are in Google. I don't know what the best practice is for right. everybody in the, in their own places. I will say that I do know that with the release of Google Analytics 4, they have, they're focused on a cookie list tracking policy, right? So right. that's going to make a, a big difference. And I think Ooh. that's why they did push it out um, was right. so that Ooh. they could be more compliant. That's really, really interesting because it may well be the discussion I had earlier on was about the wrong Google Analytics because I've actually installed Google Analytics 4 and I'm struggling with it. I find it really difficult to understand <laughs> how to navigate. So if you can give me any handy hints. I mean, I couldn't even set up an event. It took me absolutely ages. Um, yes. And it now works, so Google, but it, it freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, Google Analytics 4 is a beast. Uh, and that's a lot of what I'm doing right now with clients is just education on Google Analytics 4 because it is so vastly different from Universal. Um, and I did a show with Andy Crestedina and before the show went on, I was talking to him and his co-host and she said it perfectly. I, her name always escapes me. I really need to look it up again, but she said, it's like, it's a marketing platform built by devs that wanted to flex at their developers, uh, which is very true, right? It is very like, it almost gets rid of the need for a developer, but you still have to understand a little bit about like, web dev in order to like set up your events and set up, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can do it um, right in Google Analytics for, you know, after you have it installed on your site, but it, it is a beast. I will say the thing that I've encouraged people the most to look into right now is find the reports that you actually like and need. Um, and then on the left-hand side, there's a secondary navigation, right? So uh, you have the report explorer, um, advertising and configure, right? If you go into the reports, then you get that secondary navigation. It shows you lifecycle user behavior uh -huh. at the bottom. It says library. If you click on that library, you can customize the collections reports and topics. And that's what makes up your navigation. So if you have reports that you are like, these are the reports that I care about and want to see, and they're really hard to find right now, you can actually put them right into your navigation so that they're always there. Um, and I found that that makes a lot of people's experiences a lot easier so that they're not constantly having to dig and remember where a certain report was um, and all that kind of right. fun stuff. I mean, because the, the reports they give you by default now are nothing like the reports they gave you by default before. Right. And and you look at it and you kind of think, this doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, I don't know who decided what went there, but they must have yeah. been pretty geeky. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's pretty tough. But I mean, the good thing is, right, like there's so much that we're getting in Google Analytics 4 that previously was only available in Analytics 360. So things like, a connection to BigQuery, um, you get yeah. anomaly detection, predictive analytics. I mean, that's wild. And these are right. things that in the past you would have had to pay a lot of money for. Um, so there's definitely a learning curve. Um, uh, shameless plug, I'm finishing up a Google Analytics 4 mm. course right now where I am like just breaking it down into the most simple terms um, for right. people. So Hopefully that'll help. I, I know a lot of people are really like bummed about Google Analytics 4, but I will say it's better to get it set up now, even if you don't know, like even if you're not going to rely on it and use it all the time, because you start at zero, 
It does not pull any universal analytics data right. over. It can't pull any universal analytics over um, because the data structures are different. So. Right. Yeah, no. And uh, I remember somebody telling me, actually, you can just run the two together. And I went, yes. oh, wow. Yep. Yeah, of course. And so you, you, you put GA4 in now. You run it for yep. six months. You get some data behind your three months, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. You learn how to set it up. And then you can get rid of the old one further down the line. It isn't either or. It's both for a while. Does right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I had most clients doing. Now, if somebody's creating a new uh, a new um, property, I just have them do Google Analytics 4 because I understand it enough to where I can just use Google Analytics 4. Um, but I have most of my clients are still so dependent on Universal because uh, it, mm. it has all of their data and it has it structured the way that they they want it structured and they can do, you know, month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year reports, which you can't do in Google Analytics 4 now. Um, but yeah, I mean, so most people should how, be running both. Yeah, and how do you get around the, the problem of comparing, for example, last year to this year if, if you've got them separate? I mean, Google Analytics 4 is going to take a long time to kind of settle in from the perspective is we're going to be wanting to look back a couple of years. Right, right. So, I mean, I, I just use Universal for all of those those kind of um, comparison reports. Um, mm -hmm. So if I, if I have a client that had Universal we're keeping Universal alive until Google says we have to get rid of it and, and use only Google Analytics for, um, so that we do have all of that data because it is valuable, right? Um, but yeah. we also have to remember in 2012 when they went to Universal Analytics, it was the same exact situation, right? That we yeah. had all this data on um, Google Analytics 2. I mean, I guess if we're, if we're doing it that way. Uh, and then we were forced to move over to Universal and... You just had to do it. Yeah. No, and there is a point where you just have to say, I'll bite the bullet and I'll do it. I mean, yeah. I remember when it was Urchin, and I was actually yeah. using Urchin in the early noughties when it's still yeah. an open open source uh, yeah. platform. And, and one of those kind of lucky things is I installed it, and then Google ended up using it. So when they brought that first version in, I was going, oh, easy peasy. This is this is great. And now, I right. like, 20 years later, I'm totally lost. Google Analytics 4 has totally lost me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot, but um, there are just so many like things that you can do to customize it. Um, mm. But it's hard to, to get there, right? Um, you have to spend a lot of hours messing with the, the platform to find it. But once you find it, and you're able to customize it, uh, I find that you know, it can do most of the same things that we were able to do with Universal. Right. Um, and the good news is they they continue to update it, right? Like I, I was just thinking I'm going to write an article soon about um, 10 things that have already changed in Google Analytics for like it's only been out for two years and it's massively different from when it first came oh. out already. So hopefully yeah, okay. it just gets so better. So, so I mean, the, 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 the rule is bite the bullet, install it, Start collecting yeah. the data, start messing with it, or get somebody from Beast Analytics in to help you with it to, to to get you through that first stage. And I think kind of that's something people forget is actually paying somebody to walk in and say, "This is how you do it." This you, you explain what you want to do, and they do it for you. Is is um, is not a, a false economy, as we say in French. Um, my other question, another question is, how much do you die coming away from the very geeky Google Analytics differences talk? 
when you're looking at this data, how much do you dice it down by different demographic demographics? I mean, how much do you um, cut and slice and dice? Yeah, I mean, that's all dependent on the the client, the situation, et cetera, right? So like if we're talking about SEO, let's let's say we're talking about SEO and we're looking at blogs. Um as far as like demographic data goes, I'm actually very rarely am I looking at true demographic data as far mm. as like gender, age, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm far more interested in the things that are going to impact SEO. So things like devices, um, country mm. and city right. and, and on that kind of stuff, um, because that's going to have far more of an effect and shape our strategy more than are there chicks coming to the sites or dudes, right? Like, yeah. I mean, like at the end of the day, they both have, everybody has buying power at this point. So sure. I don't really care. I mean, like I do, but I don't, you know what I mean? Because we, yeah. uh, that's a whole nother conversation. Actually, I'm not no, going to no, go no, down no, that rabbit hole. That, that, that's an incredibly <laughs> good point. It, it, it's something that will move the needle is if you've got an incompatibility with a specific device. And your right. analytics is going to show you that if you dice it down correctly. And that's likely to, or it could potentially have a massive effect because it's an iPhone, for example, if you've got a problem with an iPhone. Right. Um, right. So dig, digging down, and how much, when you dig down, do you find yourself going down a rabbit hole and ending up with oh. information? You're going, actually, this is useless. Personally, because I enjoy this <laughs> stuff, I'm in rabbit holes all the time. At least right. once a day, I'm like, why am I looking at these three users from China that access at two o'clock in the morning? Like, I mean, I don't know. That stuff's just interesting to me. Um, but that I, I generally try and tell people, like, especially when they're first getting started or especially when they're like, okay, I'm going to become data driven. Um, I try and encourage people to like, at first, when you go in, every time you go in, know what you're going in to look for. So are you going in to look for compatibility with certain devices? If so, there's, you know, three reports to look at or whatever um, to see if that's working and if you have any discrepancies. Um, right. If you're going in to see blog performance, you know, there are a couple reports in Google Analytics. You're probably going to want to go into Search Console. You're probably going to want to go into, you know, your keyword tracking platform of choice, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I encourage people so they don't end up like me in massive rabbit holes to, mm. to kind of find like their flow and, um, do that for the majority of their tracking and then schedule time to do your deep dives where you're just looking at all of the other things that affect, um, right. your goals. Yeah. The curious digging, we could call yes. it. Um, and and when you say always be testing, I mean, kind of like from your perspective, do you do you test and measure with analytics then? What kind of tests yes. and what kind of setup do you have in analytics to measure that? Yeah, so we follow what we call the beast cycle, which is essentially, I mean, it's very similar to the scientific method. It's benchmarking. So what are your goals? Are we able to track them? Where are we at right now? Okay, so that's mm. benchmarking. Then you explore like your data you explore your competitors' data, then and kind of the platforms that you're working with. So, what's Google favoring right now? What are you know maybe YouTube? I rely a lot on YouTube for SEO stuff, but again, conversation for another day. Um, yeah. Analyze all of that information. So, what are the trends? What are the outliers? You know, what's interesting, and then you strategize based on that and create your test. 
And then once you run your test, you start at the beginning and just keep doing it over and over again. Um, and so for me, a, a lot of that testing is based on those KPIs um, that we collect during the benchmarking. And then we kind of do the exploring to look at that's more of the uh, that deep dive that we were talking about, right? Uh, schedule time to be curious and see what else might be affecting it. Right. And how much do you find that your clients want to change tiny little details all the time and that they never actually get any real baseline and then they keep changing it? So they end up with kind of very fragmented data over a period of time. Nobody can remember when they changed what. Um, I I mean, it depends on the client, right? I mean, that's Mark's yeah. favorite answer is it depends. Um, generally, if, if we can get someone to understand the actual like B cycle testing cycle, you know, we make it very clear that you have to have controls and you have to have variables just like you would in, in a science experiment, right? Like if you change too many things, we have no idea what's moving the needle. Um, so, so we really try and, you know, at, at its core, Beast is an education um, um, company. Like that, that, that's one of our big values is, is educating our clients. So um, we, we really try and encourage them to think of everything from a testing perspective um, so that we can keep our data somewhat as clean as it can be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is the big problem is keeping the data clean and yeah. remembering that there's always fluff in there that's going to distort things, which is incredibly yes. difficult to explain to clients. <laughs> That was brilliant. It, it was a really lovely ending because you explained, I, I love the idea that you're an education company. And I think that's incredibly important. We need to educate our clients because if we educate the clients, they won't be coming back with all these requests that I've, I've been citing because probably I'm just not educating the people I'm working with sufficiently well. Thank you very much, Bree. I'm going to now pass the baton or I'm going to ask you to pass the baton. Uh, next week, we have Judith Lewis talking about winning the link building game with data. So more data next week, but applied to link building. Uh, Judith is delightful, incredibly smart, and it's going to be amazing. And she's going to provide us with gazillions of wonderful practical insights. I know. Bree, could you pass the baton, please? Well, all I have to say is I've been following Judith on Twitter for a very long time. I've seen her at multiple conferences, and I know that she's going to blow people away. So, Judith. Take this baton and do me proud. Brilliant stuff. Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. You get the outro song. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Bree. Yay. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>